HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. I got to tell you, I'm very excited about today's show. Our guest is Pascaline Lepeltier, Master Sommelier, Beverage Director, and Partner at Rouge Tomat in New York City. We'll talk about what else, Chenin Blanc, and every other exciting wine you should be drinking now, and a lot of other stuff too. We'll also taste for our weekly wine sip. Not a Chenin Blanc, because that's what Pascaline would expect. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Pascaline Lepeltier is a partner and beverage director at Rouge Tomat in New York City. Pascaline is one of 146 master sommeliers in the U.S., of which 24 are women. Those numbers may have changed, but they're pretty close to what they are. She's received too many awards to mention, but here's a few, okay? Pascaline was one of the five best new U.S. sommeliers by Wine and Spirits magazine. She was one of the new wine prophets by Time Out New York. She was one of the 40 under 40 beverage influencers by Wine Enthusiast. She was a second runner-up 
in the best French wine sommelier three, four times, right? I don't know if this is good or bad. She is a StarChefs.com rising star. She's written for prominent wine guides for Europe and the U.S. and has been featured in numerous food and wine publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Decanter, Food and Wine, and Savoir, to name a few. And we're almost done. Rouge Tomat has been nominated for a 2017 James Beard Award for Outstanding Wine Program, which is a very high honor. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Pascaline. Thanks a lot. Pascaline, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, and I hope we have enough time to cover everything, so we'll try to get to it. But one of the things I want you to do before we get into all different subjects and things in different directions, I know you have an incredibly interesting background, and I think it would be interesting for our listeners, our audience, to sort of hear your journey in life and wine as to how you got to where you are, which is right now Rouge Tomate in New York as a partner and running the whole beverage program there. So be selective where you should spend a little time and places where you should spend a lot. But get <laughs> us up to speed. So how, how you arrive where I am today yes. in Brooklyn, in Roberta's. Yeah. Yes, the L train. <laughs> um, um, I, I'm, I, yeah, I have a little bit of a, of, a, of a specific background, but I think like a lot of great wine people I know around me, uh, you know, that came to wine by passion uh, and not by being forced, you know, by their parents to follow a career. Um, so um, It's funny you say that because your parents didn't force you, but you grew up in France in the Loire Valley in a wine region. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's for sure. And I didn't really drink wine until I was probably 20. So I can tell you, I was surrounded by, by vineyard. But, um, you know, French culture with wine is not necessarily what you think about um, unless you, you, you're in a very specific family or, in, you know, you're in a restaurant family right. or when, you know, a lot of people are just buying their wine at the supermarket and, um, and yes, they're not as connoisseur as they, they pretend to be. Right. <laughs> I think we have one in our DNA, but um, we, we don't really understand it. Um, so no, I, I came to wine very late. Um, I, was, uh, I was lucky to, um, to be pretty good at school, and um, I, I wanted to, to become a philosophy teacher. So I studied philosophy in, in France. Um, and um, maybe I become too good of a philosopher because I realized I was too young to teach philosophy. <laughs> uh, and um, I, so I took a, I took a, a year break after I'm finishing my master in philosophy. I was starting to prepare a PhD and going for teaching at university. So I was on that path, very academic path. Parents not at all in wine, uh, living in a wine region, but we were really drinking Côte de Bourg, Bordeaux, and I was drinking Cointreau and beer and spirits <laughs> and crap and all that kind of thing. Not Cointreau is not crap, but I was drinking all the really, really bad stuff I'm very ashamed of today. Uh, but um, my philosophy teacher was in wine. He liked wine a lot, <laughs> so uh, I kind of got influenced by him. And when I decided to took a break... Um, I uh, I went to work in a in, in catering industry, you know, to make a bit of money. And While you were still in school. 
Yeah, when I was still in school, uh, I wanted to do something, you know, the, the thing is I was very lucky and I didn't really have to work until a certain point of my life. And and then, you know, I was really thinking a lot, studying philosophy and when you study, think about what is work, what does that mean, pain, what does that, that I was like, man, I never worked in my life. So um, I, I went to work during summertime and the, the job I found was in catering company. And I really liked it. I was like, wow, the food world is awesome. It was a high-end catering company, so we were really doing really beautiful food, high-end events, good wine. And I was like, wow, my philosophy teacher likes wine. I like this kind of restaurant stuff. So when I, did, wanted to take, when I decided to take a break from philosophy, and my parents were like, um, you sure? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, I'll give you a couple of months. I was like, okay, I, I should kind of dig that restaurant a little bit more. So... Uh, I tried to enter a culinary school, uh, and they didn't want me. Um, Why? Because they, it's very, it's very, very difficult in France to change career. And they were like, "Wow, well, you, you are 22. You have already all, all this like right. background in philosophy, these diplomas, and everything. You would be stupid to go." What were you going to go in as? Cooking? Wine, no, no, in service. Front, front of the house. Front yeah, of the sir, house. yeah, front of the house right. service. And they were like, "This is." And I wanted something practical. I was like, I need to learn. And it's not like here, like in France, it's very difficult to just go and get a job or do an internship. Like, it's it's not very easy. Right. So I got kicked out. Like, not They, were, they told me, you are stupid. Don't go into restaurant business. It's bad. <laughs> uh, you don't make any money. It's a dead hand. Like it's worse than the philosophy business? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> not sure which one is we are making more right. money in. But, um, and so uh, I, I finally find a school that... Uh, allowed me to do uh, I went back in fact to university and I did an MBA in hospitality management and so you got a master's in philosophy and then an MBA in hospitality yeah wow uh, but it was my only way to get right. the ability to get an internship you had to <laughs> I had to so I did that and they had a lot of and it was in my hometown it was in Angers so I grew up in the Loire and that, that, that part and um, they had some wine class and without me noticing, I started to attend every wine class possible. I just got the bug. I was like, wow, I love that. Night class, wine class, weekend at the wineries and all that stuff. So when I ended up my internship and I was like, what do I want to do with my life was working again in a catering company. Uh, I was very lucky to work on a project that involved uh, um, the Bernard Arnault, the owner of LVMH that also owns Chateau Dicam. Uh, and we prepared his wedding. It was the last mission I had during my last internship to finish my program. And so the wedding of his daughter happened to be there, and they were preparing pairing to go with the wedding. They were in Paris doing tasting and food, and was there. And, and I and I tried 1937 Ikem. Jesus. And uh, and I more than tried. My maitre d' brought me half a half a bottle of 1937 Ikem in original bottle. And like that day, I was like, okay, it's not catering, it's not restaurant, it's not MBA management, it's wine. It has to be wine. So I went to my parents and said, listen, I want to become a sommelier. So hold on one second, because I want people to understand. Chateau de Chem is a wine. It is a sweet wine, a sauterne, mm-hmm. and it is somewhat cloying and sweet with a lot of terrific characteristics it's a dessert wine it's spelled d y the apostrophe y q u e m right and yeah. it's probably the greatest is french dessert wine 
Yeah, it's decam um, uh, is, is a myth. It's right. uh, it's as you said, it's a, it's a dessert wine. It's what we call a, a, a botrytis, noble rot wine. The grape botrytizes so, it; gets almost rotten and sweet. Absolutely, concentrating flavors and sugar and acid and giving an incredible, an incredible uh, power and uh, edibility to the wine. And, and decam has been. Um, yeah, it's been called the king of the wine. So, um, so it's, 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 a, it's let's a, continue. So you tasted it at the Arno tasting, I, wedding planning thing, and was it a life changing thing? It, yeah, it was a life changing. It was a life changing because I knew I liked wine. I knew already I was in touch with winemaker, and I really like you, you know when you start to do something and and it's, I wouldn't say simple, but you are connected with it. You know, some people, it's music, you know, you put them in right. front of a guitar and they start to play. It's like, oh my God, and you, you struggle to put free stuff together. I don't know, God, wine is like, wow, I, 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 it's, I, I get it, there is a connection. Uh, but that wine was like, okay, there is so much to say about a bottle like that. There is so much what wine can convey and what can bring together right. and can embody. And suddenly uh, I found in a wine the medium I was looking for in philosophy in a certain way, like uh, a focus point that could lead to so many fields. Um, and I was like, okay, it's, it's, I need to get into wine. And so I told my parents, they were like, are you sure? I said, yes. I was 25. They and were supportive? Yeah, I think they were. I think it was, in fact, they were more. They were happier. Probably, I went into restaurants than in philosophy. I think right. that, like, at least you can find a job. Um, uh, and uh, so I, I was lucky. In my again, in my hometown, they had that school um, where you can become a sommelier. It's but it's for like, it's really considered a very basic diploma. And they were accepting people until 25, so I just sneak in last minute. I was with 16 years old boy. Oh boy. Uh, and the deal was one week at school learning about wine and three weeks in a restaurant. And I got in and I found an amazing restaurant to work in. Like, same thing, I got kicked out of so many restaurants, they didn't want to hire me. Saying, you know, you have you have in philosophy major, you have MBA food management. What do so you want? wrong background? Wrong background. Were you a little too old or was, the age yeah, wasn't an issue? Yeah, it was, what about being yeah, a woman? That was the three of them combined. Woman thing? The woman thing, yeah, was there because certain positions were just open for men. Right. Uh, too old, yes. And... Um, and yeah, too many diploma. But I found one place. Uh, it was a two Michelin star in Brittany, and I, I got in because the chef, Monsieur Torel, loved books and wanted me to help him with his book collection at the end of the shift. So I that got That was in. Jacques Torel. Jacques Torel. And the yeah. restaurant was L'Auberge Bretonne. And it was where it was in. It was in Brittany. It was he, Brittany. He clo like he, he, he retired, but and he has an amazing. Yeah, and I didn't realize the wine I was going to work with. So it's how I get into wine. You know, it's it's a so mix he, of luck. He and took you under. He took me under his wing, wing. yeah, and he's like old chef style. So he was a little bit. Mm. <laughs> pretty pretty classic training though. Classic training. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, so it's how I get. So into you work wine. with him for how long? I work with him for more than a bit more than a year. Okay. So I got my very, very, very classic French training then. And uh, and then at school, my teacher was very into natural wine and organic and biodynamic farming. So I got both of the both worlds in a year. I was with my, my teacher in class. We were just re He was teaching us about the new way of thinking about wine. We were visiting biodynamic producer. We were... Well, so I was very exposed to what was happening at that time. So it was in 2000 and, uh, 2005, 2006. 
and I had very classic training with uh, Mr. Torello. So the natural organic thing was a good opportunity because your teacher had an interest in it. It, you got into natural, organic, biodynamic wines. Right, right off the batch. Early, yeah. I got right off the batch, and I got it the right way, which is, um, I think, like, I was just exposed to, to, to the winemaker around me, and around Angers at that time was, it was just a, an incredible dynamic for these kind of winemakers. You know, we had Nicolas Jolie, uh, which is an emblematic uh, voice for biodynamic wine in seven years, so it's like, it was five minutes drive from my parents, so I met Nicola very early on. So I was exposed to biodynamic very early on, um, and a lot of other iconic producers from the region. So I saw, and it's where I learned wine, and I and I did my prunings and harvest and work in a vineyard with these guys and taste a bunch of wines without that to be trendy. So it appears to me that that was the way to go naturally. Right. It appealed to your sensibility too. Yeah, you besides like, the way it was then around you it, it made yeah, it sense makes, it too. makes sense and yeah. you, you could understand you know i was it's sustainable I was, and yeah the, the farming you could you could you could compare vineyards right like farm different ways our side by side you saw the results you're like there is there is a no-brainer so that was that was um, that was um that, that changed my vision of wine from the batch i think i was very lucky to learn with these guys and learn with winemakers so it's very different when you when you're in school far away from vineyards but when you can go every every weekend and right. test out of the barrel and do some leaf pulling and talk with them and so it's it makes a huge difference i think and then i got that very extraordinary bottle list i had at monsieur Torres so i could taste wine from the 50s and 60s and 70s and all the big names and 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 so i got i got the both of both worlds so you were tasting classic wines you were tasting bordeaux and burgundies the whole thing even though you were in the loire and you know there were wines indigenous mm-hmm. characteristic you had the Torel Torel experience yep. gave you exposure to all that so not soon after that a couple of major things happened you go for your master psalm and you leave France, right? Yeah, so no, what, what happened after that? I, I left Monsieur Torel because I wanted a, an international experience. Uh, and so I pushed them out, and my, like, we found each other. Like They found me, and uh, they wanted somebody that was able to do some process and to be also an operational person. So I, was in, I got in charge of the beverage program. And so Rouge hired me in 07, and we, we, uh, the, the idea was to develop a program based on, on health and nutrition. That was mimicking what we are doing with the food at the restaurant. So how can we drink better? What does that mean to drink well? How do we need to understand the ingredients we are using and the product we are using in a restaurant? So I work with nutritionists and scientists in Paris and then in Brussels to create that beverage program. And I helped out to open the restaurant in New York. So I was hired for that. Uh, opened so the rest- early on there was a attention and an eye towards... It was from the very beginning. I was hired because I already had that attention. So the restaurant has been focusing on on how to eat and drink healthier, but with taste since the beginning of the project right. of the restaurant. So I think it was very forward-thinking in 07. Uh, now everybody's, you know, you see the juices, you see your nutrients, you talk about ingredients all the time, and I did it and all that. It was very forward-thinking at that time. So we built a program. I helped out a little bit with the opening in New York. But the opening in New York was done with an American team. What year was that? It's 2008. 2008. And, uh, and that was Rouge Tomat. That was Rouge Tomat on, on the, the Upper, upper East, East Side. Right. 
and uh, because we're a Belgium-owned company, our owner is from Brussels, so the, it took some time also to develop the first one in Brussels and then to move it to the U.S. And after six months uh, opened in the U.S., um, whether I was back and forth with the team, I, they asked me to move for a couple of months just to help out to reshape the program, and I stayed. And I've been so it became a permanent thing. It became a permanent thing. And it fit, it fit right. It fits great. You know, it's. I think. I think it's. A, it's so important when you go to work every day, and you know that what you are doing um, matches your value. You know, right. like I couldn't be prouder of what our owner is trying right. to, we'll, to we'll, achieve. We'll talk about that. Um, but during that time on, were you studying for your master sommelier? Yeah. Yeah, it started when I arrived. Very um, difficult, right? Took multiple <laughs> years. Yeah, it took uh, it took me four years. Wow! Uh, so you, I could take one exam a year, like four and a half years. It took me. Uh, I, I, yeah, it was. You know, it was great because I, I get it by chance thanks to my friend Laura Maniak, uh, who is a master sommelier, and she was a very big mentor for me when I arrived. And Laura at Cogbuzz, she had her M- she had her MS, and she was like, you, you should do it, you know. And I was also looking for something to help me with my green card, like an American diploma, to be able to stay. So I got into that, and I realized that it's an, it's an amazing way to keep yourself on your toes, and to to force you to study and things that otherwise your taste or your opinion may not not right. make you study. So I, I was I was very lucky to get into that path. Yeah, Laura's going to be on the show in the middle of uh, March. Oh, she's she's an yeah she's an amazing woman. So you you get to Rouge Tomat in the states. You're on the Upper East Side. Then something happens. You close the place down. I mean, you got the whole thing set up. The whole mindset and vibe healthy sustainable natural wines food you shut down and now what <laughs> so yeah we we, we closed in you know, a 14 um for for structural reasons like for a lot of like a lot of other thing companies in manhattan it's getting tricky with uh, especially with the rent um make business very difficult so right. we uh we decided to uh, to close and to uh, to relocate, um, and so we we reopened. What year did was the decision made to close? Two thousand and fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. Fourteen, and you uh, reopened the new Rouge Tomat in September of two thousand sixteen. Yeah. yeah, end of September. Yeah. So almost a couple of years there. Two years. Yeah. But it, you didn't sit by idly. You <laughs> were in a lot of places, right? What did you do with your time? You realized you had time. Yeah, we were, we were supposed to open faster. <laughs> right. So, but New York, right. New York doesn't make your things easy. Your plans were changed. The plans were changed a lot. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a building we, 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 are, we are lucky to be in. It's a beautiful building in Chelsea on 18th Street. But it's a, it's a landmark building. It was a carriage house, uh, stable from 1863. And... The amount of permit and work were just extraordinarily high and just was way more complex and longer than we thought. So, so yeah, I was lucky to be able to to have a little bit of time while we were also like managing the project because it was a, it's, it was a very ambitious renovation project and I was involved at every stage. So it was like working on that, having a bit of time to travel and back and forth. So I, I took some time yeah to go and visit producers and growers and re I, I thought it was very important for me. Where, to know. where did you go? 
Um, so I went to a lot of places. I went to New Zealand. That's far away. That's far away. Uh, a lot in Europe, like Spain, Portugal, Italy. Had Austria, you spent Germany. time in those countries, or this was an opportunity to... So I, I would have wished to spend more time, but I was spending, like, what, two weeks at a time? Right. Uh, because I was always... We were always like, okay, we need to be ready. So it was like... It's not like you can spend six months. Right. It wasn't a 6 You were always thing. on a leash, in a way. Yeah. Like on a, or, like, on a starting block. <laughs> right. better than a leash. Right. Waiting for the gun. <laughs> we, we were waiting for the gun. We were waiting yeah. for... The, oh, is that permit is done? Yes, we can move on. Let's right. move on. So, no, and it was great. And I went to the Republic of Georgia, which really was a, also my, like, very, very important trip for me. And... Um, just Laura just did. Laura Maniac mm-hmm. just did a Georgian tasting the yes, other yeah. night. I'd say it's a, it's a very big place to be. So yeah, no, I was I was very lucky to do that. More teaching and everything, but you know we're ready to open. So it was just a lot right. of um, like it's uh, it's behind the scene, and you may know that, but uh, it's so not y- it's not funny behind the scene. So you open Rouge Tomat in September of last year. So it hasn't been open that long. You opened in Chelsea on 18th Street. And let's talk a little about the restaurant because it's it's definitely unique. It's a chef-driven, healthy menu. It's a curated wine list. You know, tell me about. It's, I'm being very simplistic. I mean, there's a highly trained wine staff. The food, the wines, as you alluded to before, there's a whole vibe there. Try to you know tie it all together for me. Oh, <laughs> it's a healthy health-driven, delicious food and wine place. Um, it's been the goal of, of, of Rouge since the beginning to try to show that you can eat really good food that is also healthy for you and also good for the planet. Uh, we we are all at the restaurant, my chef Andy Bennett, my owner Emmanuel Verstraten, and the whole team, my head bartender, everybody, we, we believe that the way you eat matters, makes you feel better, and it's not that complicated in a way but you can do that every day of your life so what we try to do at the restaurant is to show that it's possible to do it and to make it uh, at, at, the, at the best level possible and by moving downtown we also wanted to showcase you can do it in a more approachable way like uptown it was kind of a little bit easier you know to eat for a certain type of clientele that right. is a bit more wealthy but you can eat and, and drink very tasty, very high quality ingredients that are very good for your health. And today we all know that the way you eat matters more than ever right. because because we see all the health issue around us and the obesity problem and a lot of and then you can go to agriculture and all that. Right. And so the way you eat the food and it's not just for you and what's good for you. It's the it's farmers, the sustainability, the sustainability, the wines, absolutely. you know, an eye towards pair- pairing, right? I mean, all everything. The- and you can do that by making yourself happy. You know, it's going through pleasure. Uh, but yeah, you know, the increase of use of medication can be probably saved by, by better eating. Right. And so this is what we are doing. And we work with a nutritionist and we, uh, and we have been working uh, with nutritional programs since 15 years with scientists to help us out to to craft that and so you, but when you come to a restaurant we first want you to have fun and to enjoy yourself so we do all the right. work for you basically you just come and eat and right. we have done the job before right so, so all the offerings the type of food the wines all that yeah. you know has been thought out um, you do you're starting to do a lot of other things too for the customer you're doing 
Spotlight Flights, Salon Series. There's always something going on. I mean, the food is always there and the wine list is there, but there are other attractions. Talk about some of the things you've recently implemented. Yeah, we like also by going down. We 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 wanted to make, as I said, the place very approachable. And one of the <coughs> things is still wine seems to be very intimidating for so many people, um, and it's true. And when you go to a restaurant, the one is we have is such a massive beast, you know, and a lot of names that you don't know. So me and my team, and I'm very lucky. I work with two amazing sommeliers, uh, Linda Violago and, and James Sly. Uh, we really, we I think we are. We really want to make people happy and to share our passion about wine So and, and beer and, and cocktails with my head bartender, Christian Molina. Um, so the idea was, okay, now we have that amazing space. It's in Midtown, Man- like it's in, from Midtown, we moved to Chelsea. It's super easy to go to. I really want to share, I really want to share all this wine. So how can we make wine easy to understand for people? Less, less, less snobby. So... And at at a good price. So different, like we are going, we we did a lot of different, as you mentioned, different different initiatives. So every week I'm popping up four bottles of wine that I wanted to compare by a flight that almost at cost, and you can compare this for one you may have never been able to compare. I'm doing a salon series. Where that's the spotlight series. That's the first spotlight. Yeah. Where you take same. Can be a Wine, producer, can be same producer. Can be a vintage, and I think that there is something to say between these four bottles, and we are here to to, differ, okay. to, to take you through uh, the salon series. Uh, something I really thought about when I was like during the break, and was like, oh, there is all this winemaker dinner, and it's always great. But you know what I realized? It's sometimes they're always the same. You know, you always oh, this you talk about the wine and the vintage, and the breaks and the pitch. And so I'm very lucky to 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 know quite some people, and I realize that I have a lot of connection with wine lovers that are not at all in the wine industry but love the wine and could like taught me so much so they are scientists writers singers poets sculpture monks that are going to come you're pulling everyone off the street not every like wine lover <laughs> right by so, the mean so the next one is with with uh, two two fantastic scientists that wrote the, for me one of the best wine book that went out last year called a natural history of wine and Ian Tattersall and Robert de Salle work for the, the Museum of Natural History and in New York in New York and they are scientists and anthropologists and they are going to come and they are going to talk we are going to do a whole pairing we create all that and wow. we are going to talk about something way bigger than just a pH of the wine right. we are going to talk about anthropology of the wine in a very low key environment that will, so very cool um, different uh, you know, it's like it's like this kind of dinner when you when you when you go and you you want to share different fields. I think one has been segregating itself quite a lot and right. being quite snobby. So that you sounds know, great. We have a lot to learn from everybody. It so. sounds great. Um, and then you also do winemaker dinners. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm still like think, Riesling Fair, which we you do, were part of. There was yeah. a big Riesling festival, so a lot of the. Uh, German winemakers. Yeah, we had Clemens Busch and, and Johannes Weber from Falkenstein and Eva Frick popped up and uh, um, yeah, no, it's you know New York is amazing because you have winemaker all the time. Every day there's <laughs> something going great. on. And so if we can become a place and there this was is what a Barolo tasting there today a barrel, somewhere. Yeah, the yeah. Barolo, there is an Eagle Miller tasting yeah, this morning. There is people around all the time, and so I, if you know, it's it's so different, and you know that because you have been traveling to wine country. But the days that you Hang, you shake the hand of the winemaker, you taste the glass with him, and like suddenly something is different. So, great. if we can just make that happen at the restaurant, it's like it's like friends it's that I'm welcoming. So, so it's a it's a really great environment. 
So you're you're a sommelier. You're a master sommelier. I think, like you you mentioned earlier, you know, some people get intimidated by a big wine list. They may be intimidated by a sommelier. I think if they walked into your place, I think you know that goes away a little. But what do you think the responsibility of a sommelier is? You know, when somebody walks into your place and it's a wine-centric place, you have a responsibility to the customer. What do you think that is? To make him feel good and happy. Okay. You know, that's the first thing. Like, you, you don't build a program like that if you are not um, willing to... If it's just to impress, uh, I think you are missing the point. It's not a restaurant business that you're opening, maybe something else or a wine you bar. You mean with big trophy bottles and burgundy? You no. want accessibility and pairing and... Yeah, or if if you, um, I know it's like you can have any bottle that you want, you know. But if you don't make yourself available for every type of knowledge or every type of desire from your clientele, yours doesn't make any sense, you know. Right. So, if you build a big program, your duty is to make sure that everybody that comes to your restaurant is is taking care of at the right level of information, knowledge, and. And attention that that person deserves. Maybe that person doesn't know anything about one, but want to, you know, just have a great dinner with a date. You know what? We are going to make that happen, and it's my job to understand that is what's happening with so that person. So even if that person's a little intimidated, you know that you have to crack through and create the experience for them, right? We, you know, you're on the floor. I would really think that 99% of your job is to be a psychologist. Uh, You're on the floor, you are dealing with people first We happen to deal with people through food and wine But first and foremost, it's a social and human experience So we, whatever you want to do, we are dealing with people If I didn't want to deal with people, I will be maybe a writer Or I I work in a different field in in the wine industry But I work in a restaurant. You have to have the desire, the we patience. Interact. You have to have the job. psychological it's a job. out, you know, attitude to to tap through and to get get to everybody. Um, and I'm sure your whole staff on the floor, you know, does all of that. Yeah, we 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 want people that work with us to have the same mindset. You know, it's and you know we spend so many hours together. We need to to right. share the same value. Yeah, if you are not working in a restaurant to take care of people, right? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And so it's as you as you just as you just asked me. But my responsibility is to make sure that whoever wants whoever comes at the restaurant is taken care of with respect and not dismissed because that person doesn't know right. why. Like is is that is my biggest fear. Right. Uh, at the restaurant. It sounds like a good combination, that kind of service, that kind of attention, that kind of food, a thought t- towards, you know, a terrific wine list. That's a great experience. All right, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about wine now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so you got into natural, organic, biodynamic wines early, and I think you realize now it's a great thing. I mean, it's it's sort of building a sustainable wine economy. Um, these wineries and you know the people that that drink them are kind of aware of it. Um, let's talk about. I always ask 
I think a lot of people are aware there's natural, organic, biodynamic wines. I think some people are very aware. Other people are drinking it and don't know about it. Tell me about what a natural wine is, and that's a broad category, because you've dealt with it early on. You have a lot, but but what 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 is it? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a big topic. Um, so and you know maybe not. I think I think the the, the the question or the problem with natural wine is maybe the word natural that is a complicated word to right. understand to associate. And we wrestle with that on this show. We it's, wrestle. It's more the organic and bio. The natural mm. is a broad. It's a broad and maybe not because you know one of the easy way to say there is a natural wine say everyone is cultural like every you can't if the wine is not conducted by somebody it becomes vinegar. Right. Uh, so. No, I've, natural wine and in in in, in broad, and I really like what um, the writer Alice Faring said about it, which is nothing I did, nothing taken away. Um, it's a certain idea to go back to the fact that wine <coughs> historically must have been just fermented grape juice. Um, so I, I see natural wine movement as a reaction to an over industrialization of the wine industry is a way that we are seeing the same thing for agriculture. So right. less intervention. Yes, so it's like what how can we how can we produce something that is delicious and and, and, and that can how can I say that is a stable um, without adding all the new technology we can we can we can use. Right. So it's it's a it's a very broad subject and it's like one of the one of the comparison I use usually with my staff is like, you know, wine is like your orange juice. The only problem with wine, you don't have any label. So you don't know what you drink. But when you go to the supermarket, you have the choice between getting orange, buying 100% freshly squeezed organic orange juice, up to buying something that is made with concentrated, concentrated orange juice plus, 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 plus. So it's the same thing with wine. The same thing with wine. We went so far in the in the technology that in the techniques that we went to a wine that was made and tweaked and and become a, a, a product for a market. And we went so far that we forgot that wine may just be done with grape. Right. And so the natural movement came back from that. Less intervention, but transmitting the terroir. Transmitting, transmitting. Yes, because one is one of these very few things that you can drink or eat that can trans. First, you can keep for an incredible amount of time and can indeed express nuances that are very unique to a place. Um, very few products that you can eat or drink can do that. You know, right. maybe cheese, maybe tea. Right. When you think about it, right. so it's something unique. And it's that that is a reality of wine. And so by 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 the way you farm and by, by the way you make wine, you can trick that and and at the end, unfortunately, today the consumer can't know or can't decide, because the biggest problem is one of the big, like all all the talk about natural wine, blah blah blah, blah could end tomorrow if we had the list of ingredients on a bottle of wine. Right. We could just choose tomorrow. It's one of the few agricultural products that, that doesn't right? mention ingredients, right. and there is a lot of authorizing people ingredients. People are so passionate about wine; they want to know everything, and there's. But they want people want you to buy the romance, right? But you know, behind behind the additives and natural wine, I think what is even more crucial is today 
wine is part of viticulture. Viticulture is probably the sexiest part of agriculture. Right. Agriculture is a very complicated subject today, and I don't think we realize what's happening in terms of of right. control of the seeds and control of the pesticides and what is really put on a plant and how that plant is grown. In the U.S., I think, li- beyond wine, it's a you know, little bit more, genetically modified and you pesticides and corporations that control it. It's a big, it's I mean, a big it's a very, it's a big, it's, it's, a, hot, it's a hot subject. My understanding huh? is there's less of that going on in Europe, genetically yeah, modified. It's, it's changing. It's still, no, I'm there aware. is a lot of pressure. Yeah. And the thing with viticulture, they are showing, and this is to make a great wine without having to add any additives to make your wine stable. You have to be an amazing farmer. Your understanding it starts with farming. It starts with farming. Instead of bio, with biodiversity, you start to understand the relationship with the plant and that plant's environment, and that you can't do it just by relying on numbers that told you to right. spray that specific treatment at that. It's, we are talking back about rethinking the way we farm. And the, the thing with biodynamic, organic, and natural wine, they can produce outstanding wine without using a, a, a biotechnical industry. Right. And I think that is the biggest question. And when people are telling me, oh, I, I don't want to drink this wine because there is sulfur added, I'm like, no, I think the right question you should ask yourself is how that one has been farmed. How how has, has the vineyard has been farmed? Right. How how the plant has been taken care of? How has all the macro environment has been taken care of? Right. Sulfur is a is a right. secondary question. People are caught up on sulfur. It gives me a yeah. headache. To, you know, in Europe they don't put sulfur. It goes. You're right. It's, it it's, goes way beyond. Is a, is a tree hiding the forest? Right. You know? we, you start with the land. <laughs> how you handle the land, growing the grapes, all that. You, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out because when you look at wine, it goes very deep. It's it's not just, you know, does this have sulfur or not? You know, it goes very deep, and it's um, and it's today just because we are talking all over the world about wine and wine, which is crazy pricing and the price of the land and all that. Right. You, <clears throat> wine is under the microscope, and we can talk, and there is the proof that there is alternative farming techniques that works by paying attention right. to, to that biodiversity. We are, and I, you know, what's happening with the, with the seeds industry today or what's the problem with all the bees dying? I don't yes. think we, we realize how far we have been in a certain direction yes. today. A little and scary. It's, it's, it's scary, you know, but it's, it's, if we don't react or if we don't say there is an alternative way, maybe your wine is not as perfect. Maybe your wine, and it's the comparison also I'm using with my staff, is when you work with this type of wine, you don't work with ready-to-drink wine. You know, it's not the wine is not going to have the same taste every single time. Right. But you know what? This is the beauty of wine. Otherwise, what, what's the point of putting a vintage? Right. What's the point of putting an appellation? You know, it's, there is no point. Well, let, let's talk about some wines. Um, <clears throat> let's start with your favorite wine and wine region. Pascal is Pascaline is probably one of the great ambassadors and cheerleaders of Chenin Blanc, which is a wine indigenous to where she grew up. So let's talk about Chenin Blanc because it is a terrific wine. Yep. Chenin Blanc is. Give me a quick background on it. It's the greatest grape. The greatest grape, period. Good night. See you next year. <laughs> See you next year. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no, so Shona is a white grape variety, uh, indigenous from the Loire Valley. So where I grew up is on the northwestern side of France, right. along the river of the Loire. Um, DNA-wise, it's linked to a grape from the Jura, and the Eastern Europe we call Sauvignon or Traminer, and an unknown parent, we don't really know. Not Sauvignon, Sauvignon, S-A-V-A-G-I-N. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Chenin so has been historically grown in the Loire since probably 9th century. We have traces of mention of the grape. And uh, spread out in the world, uh, and today's a biggest planting of Chenin, in fact, in South Africa, where it's known under the name Steen. So Chenin is, a, as I said, it's a white grape variety, and it's spread out around the world because it's a grape variety that holds up very well acidity. So it's a high acid grape. Which uh, is a good food grape. Which is a good food grape. Uh, it's a grape that requires quite a, a long-growing season. And Growing the, is very important because it, it's not very forgiving. It's not if it's, forgiving. If it's harvested too early, it, it can doesn't be have bitter any taste. Sweet, right. yeah, absolutely. It can be very plain. It can be very plain. So it's a grape that is a little bit tricky to grow. So it's why also you don't see it everywhere. And, and California and uh, South Africa, it was really used for this acidity and the fact that it can be very high yield. And so kind of blend. But in the Loire, uh, he achieved since century an extraordinary reputation. First for sweet wine, because he was famous for sweet wine because of his acidity and the ability of the grape <coughs> to take very well what we talked about with the EKM, which is the botrytis, so the right. noble rot. So it's a little fungus that developed in very specific condition and allows to concentrate sugar, acid, aromatics, and so on. And Chenin in the Loire does that very, very well. So has been a great variety that has been very recognized, especially in a time, and it was not that far ago, when sugar was so highly appreciated because sugar was expensive and, you know, you could get it with wine. So this wine were very, very sought after. So Chenin, from the medieval time until very recently, were very famous for sweet wine. But it's a, it's a versatile grape. It's a very, Sweet being one of the things it does well. But Chenin can make every style of wine from absolutely bone dry, very mineral driven, very austere, almost like Chablis-esque, to extraordinary powerful, ripe, 14.5-15% alcohol, barrel fermentation with malolactics that can remind you of powerful white Chateau Neuf du Pape or white Hermitage, everything in between, bubbles. Sparkling. Absolutely great bubbles and this crazy sweet wine. So, And it's a, very, um, um, it's a grape very heavily influenced by the soil type. So depending on which type of... There are of multiple soil, appellations, right? Multiple appellations. So there's a difference in soil type regions. Absolutely. And that gives you a very different flavor profile and structural profile. So at the end, that grape can is, I think, is the greatest grape because of that versatility, that age worthiness, you right. can drink some wine from the 1910, 1920s right now wow. from Huet, and they are stunning. And uh, very few grape in the world can do that. And unlike 1910 Chablis, it's a, it's a very value-driven wine. It's a very and it's a very it's a very value-driven wine. It's, it's the whole package that way. Yeah. Um, so look for Chenin Blanc. Pascaline said, you know, South Africa is probably the country that took Shannon and really ran with it. They call it Steen, S-T-E-E-N. Yeah, they, the, the, but the planting in South Africa for a long time was done with, and it's the same thing in California, they were using it for bulk wine. So they were using it as a blending agent uh, because Shannon has its ability to keep the acid with right. the heat. 
and so they could really make make a mix. So it, it was it was not known as a single grape variety, except very few exceptions in California. One of them being Chaplet, uh, that was very famous for its Chenin Blanc. Uh, and I'm still looking to drink some Chapelet from the late 1960s. So if you have a bottle of wine, let me know. But I was, I was, I, <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I, it was funny because uh, recently I was Bern Steakhouse in Florida. I, the I, the Bern, greatest wine list <laughs> in America, right? <laughs> insane wine list. Insane. Insane. And so uh, they showed That's me. That's Burns. B E R N is in uh, Tampa. It's in Tampa. And it's, a, it's, it's it hasn't been around forever. I think maybe the late 50s, 60s. Yeah, it's a mecca for wine. But it's a mecca lover. for wine. Uh, you need to if go. Down, yeah, it's amazing. If it's impressing, impressing Pascaline, they got their chops. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's it's definitely a worth. Like one, like last when I went last time, I, I took a flight at four o'clock, like at three o'clock in New York to have dinner, and I flew back at five in the morning just to have dinner <laughs> in, at Burns. Worth every. Uh, uh, <laughs> Worth everything. But they had a they had a 1985 wine list on display. Wow! Uh, and I look at the Shona page for California, and they have like 45 names. I thought like nowhere else. That was like 1985. God. And now today there is no Shona on the list, but it's okay. God. Uh, but yeah, no. But if you really want to get into Shona, there is a definite revival of the grape, both in California today and in South Africa, where the grape is considered for itself and not anymore as a blending right. agent. Right. And but you need. I really highly recommend to first um, build your palate on a grape with the Loire, because the wine are are cheaper, and I think there is just a better um, uh, transparency in terms of the ability of the grape, just because the grape has been more used there, and you have just be at pay attention to where it's from because we have really two different soil type and you have the schist on the western side and the limestone on the eastern side and depending on these two guys the the flavor profile is very different as right. i said schist is going to be dry and powerful and a bit tannic and phenolic so that's your style schist and schist. the other style is limestone uh, usually no malolactic fermentation so right. higher acid uh, some off dry wine, slightly off dry, like in Vouvray and Montlouis, a bit of residual sugar to balance out right. the acid, and way more, f- a bit fruitier and lifted. So they are very different styles. And don't be surprised about these styles. It's normal that right. there is so many styles. Right. Um, I want to ask you one more question. We're going to take a break after I ask you the question. We're going to come back. I want you to ask my, answer my wine list bunch of questions and then you and I are going to taste a little wine and I want you to tell me what you think. So we're talking to Pascaline Le Peltier from Rouge Tomate and what I wanted to ask you before we broke is I know you're still excited about Shannon which is great but tell me and we could go on for hours and do this but tell me another wine region wine and region wine and regions that excite you now of late there is so many of them um new york finger lakes okay. excite me um i really think there is a, a super they're doing it well there is a super potential do you know chris matheson from bellwether i know chris he's yes. coming on at the end of the month he is a great we want to talk about guy. finger lake wines and riesling yeah. and i thought he'd be a great guy and you you were absolutely right yes. um so finger lakes and ontario engine like all that part also of canada you know all talk that. to me about ontario what is available what what are the canadian wines 
so you find more and more of them. I know there's sweet wines up there. There is I do it in in the apple side, yeah, but like no there is a, a huge push for uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. They're Cabernet making Franc. it up there. Yeah, and it's absolutely appropriate. I think all this area by the lakes uh, are going to really um, be very interesting, especially if global warming continues to have an right. impact. But like, yeah, all that part of Northern America, I think there is a lot of things to be done there. And with vinifera, like the classic grapes that you know, and I think also with hybrids and with natives, I think that needs to be think thought about. Um, and considered so that that is very exciting for me. So Finger Lakes, Finger Lakes, Ontario. Give me one more. I go go for. Uh, I I really like Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. Okay. Seriously, it's. Uh, I know it's also that's, trendy to talk about that, but it's it's what, not new, but it's kind of new. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of hitting. Finally, you know? yeah. There there was a bunch of offerings at the Raw Wine Fair in mm-hmm. Brooklyn where I met you. Um, and Laura from Cork Buzz did a tasting, so it's nice that it's starting it's to. And, and they're interesting wines, you're saying. They are. They're superb wine. But is there is one last region that you should dig into because it's not yet overpriced, and I think there is gems. Uh, it's the southwest of France. Which is? Like old, it's a big area, but between Cahors and Jurançon and Iroulegui, so it's a lot of names you may have never heard of, no. maybe Cahors. Birthplace I of Malbec. Pronounce them either. You're so eloquent. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like you know, 30, 36 years of being French. But Southwest, if you're looking for extraordinary value wine, both red and white, with a lot of edge finesse, put put your put your nose there. Okay. There is a lot of stuff Southwest happening. France. All right, Pascaline, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking to Pascaline Le Peltier, and we're going to be back, and Pascaline's going to answer our wine list. And like I said, we're going to taste some wines. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. We're back. We're back with Pascaline Le Peltier from Rouge Tomat, New York City. And we are going to subject Pascaline to our wine list. We're going to ask her a bunch of questions and pay close attention because Pascaline knows her shit. So 
there'll be some good uh, recommendations here. All right. So this is a kind of a static list. We do it the same one with everybody. What are you drinking now? Now, you may have answered that during the show, but I'm talking about what's exciting you, what's on the table, what you're tasting. I could answer part of it. You, you could say Riesling because you were at the fair yeah. in Adelaide. But tell <laughs> me something you know that you're paying attention to. Sour beer. Sour beer. And cider. Okay. And you're serving that at the restaurant. Yep. And we're going to serve Now, more. why? You want to taste more, get to know it more? You always loved it? I loved it. I like to drink that a lot. And, you know, I want, I want to work um, for beer, cider, and spirits. I want to work with more pairing on that side. Okay. I want to um, kind of see how it go well so well with food. So I work a lot. Like I, it's, we are working quite a lot on that uh, with so my team. So tell me, sour beer is... Beer that <laughs> it's beer that uh, has been has been has been polluted with bacteria, which is like in a way it, cultures it, or something that changes. Yeah, it? so no, I, I so I spent some time in Belgium, so I drank a lot of goose and lambic in Belgium, where it's kind lambic of because of fruit, is a yeah. food, and the mother country of sour beer. So there is spontaneous fermentation beers that are very high in acid with sour acid. So good for food. So good for food. Can uh, you name me a brand you like that's available uh, out there? Like my favorite brand is called Cantillon. Spell C A N T I L L O N. Okay. But now there is a lot of great, great breweries. Right. So the category is, is kind I love of that. And cider is cider. become an incredible art. And yes, cider, forage cider from New York. Everything New York should be way more known for its cider. Right. So a lot we, of cider. We have, uh, couple of shows where they focus on, on cider. cider and beer. Yeah. I mean, we have some really great We have guys. some strong show on the radio. Like yes. on the, on the yeah, I mean, we advocate that type of stuff. All right, so those are great suggestions. We bring in one of the great wine people, and she gives us beer. See? You never know what you're going to get on the Grape Nation. All right. Favorite wine and food pairing? <laughs> Shuna. Okay. Wait, that was a dumb question. <laughs> Chenin, everything. I should have said, what do you pair with Chenin? Everything. Every, but I, what, what is a classic uh, pairing? <laughs> um, in my region, it's Chenin and Riette. Which it, is? It's pork Riette. Okay. R-I-L-L-E-T-E-T-S. So we do that. So Chenin and pork. Chenin and pork, but Chenin and fish. Chenin and everything. Right. It's that versatile. All right. This... You got to get yourself outside of yourself for a second. Your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And I'm going to ask you to give me the double edition, which is New York. And you've traveled. So you can give me anywhere outside of New York. Could be Europe, could be California, whatever. But tell me a favorite wine restaurant. In New York? I, I love Racine. Racine and Ten Bells. But if it's a restaurant... Those are very wine-centric, great yeah. food-offering places. Yes. Racine, uh, R-A-C-I-N-E, I, yeah. downtown. Yeah, that is definitely one of my favorites for wine and food. Food, Chef, yeah. Both are fantastic. It's very similar to you. You know, chef-driven, terrific yeah. food. Oh, yeah, I have a tremendous respect for their work. And Ten Bells, you said? I love to go to Ten Bells. Okay. And Ten Bells and Compagnie d'Invention Naturelle are two places where I really... Caleb. Caleb is doing a fantastic job. I, I really like I, to to drink in that I other walked places. by there Friday and begged him to come on the show, and I think he'll come on. I, I can't put a word for you. Okay, I'm going to hit you <laughs> up on that. All right, now give me something outside of New York. You could tap oh. into Europe, France. I mean, there's not a place that... It's super tough. 
uh, for wine, wine and food together. Yeah, I mean, the focus goes to wine, the not just a great restaurant, but a restaurant that, you know. Where I'm, I'm going to have a blast with a wineist. Oh my God. And happy with the food. And happy with You're the food. You're thinking too hard and I'm long. Thinking, that wasn't yeah, the there point is of this. Too many places. I like Septim in Paris. Okay. I is, like Septim. Is there a Septim in New York? Or no, is it, there that's, is no. That's spring, I'm thinking. There of. is no, no Septim. Septim. And yeah. they have a wine cave or a. They have, sept- a, good, they have a very good, good sept- little wine list. Right. Yeah. All right. So that, those are good answers. All right. Favorite. All time wine, I probably that the Akim, <laughs> or do you have something besides that? For my all time wine, your all time so favorite for... wine, Shannon. Yes. <laughs> no, but come on, or okay. give me a vintage no, year. No, 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 no. You know, I I uh, I will drink forever Muscadet. Muscadet. A good Muscadet. And Muscadet is a great food wine. It's an amazing food it's wine. It's inexpensive. I call that mineral water. Yes. Yeah, it's like your 11% alcohol, delicious, salty wine. Muscadet comes up on this list a lot. So you are the perfect person. Give me a couple of producers. Of Muscadet, with pleasure. That deserve... That are worth going... That are available and worth going out and buying. Yes, so Jolandron, L. A-N-D-R-O-N. Amazing. Jolandron. Jolandron, amazing stuff. Domaine de l'écu, E-C-U. Uh, Marc Olivier. Marc Olivier. Superb. La Pépier. Uh, Lu- Luno Papin. Fantastic. Julien Bretodo. And we're talking wines. That costs 14, 15 bucks. 15, right. And you can keep for 25 years. I have still They nine, do really hold up I that have, well? I have some 19. Like right now on the list, we're going to put a bunch of 1990s. But I have some nine, 1989 still at my parents' house. So yeah, when it's well done, Muscadet is. Amazing. So, favorite all-time wine is a Muscadet because of the versatility. You can drink it anywhere. So, the next and question... Did I interrupt you? What no, no you absolutely gonna, not. The next question, this may play into that. Best wine under 15 bucks or around 15 bucks. Give me a red. Give me a white. We could certainly say Muscadet for the white, but I'm going to make you think and give me another one. Give me a red. A red inexpensive the, uh, so fif- red 15 bucks on that a, ballpark on a you know in a wine shop in New York mm-hmm. oh that's a tough one that is the red is very tough the red is very tough so I will go to the southwest of France okay uh, it doesn't di- have to be just France no but uh, in terms of price for value the two best countries for me are Italy and France okay that's hands off if you want great so quality what are, you, what are you saying for 15 so uh, Côte de Duras Côte du Marmande old unknown appellation of the southwest you can find gem there that are Merlot Cabernet based. Give me, uh, you got a specific producer? So, yes, Mout Le Bihan, M-O-U-T-H-E-S-L-E-B-I-H-A-N. Okay. Mout Le Bihan and Elian Darroze are producing gems, Merlot, for, for that, for, price, for that range. price. Terrific. And for a white, um, you can go to, I, th- I think, one of, uh, but there is a very great producer I love, and the wine are dirt cheap, and they're so delicious. Uh, it's from, um, it's a Muscadet of Spain. <laughs> uh, it's a Chacolina in Spain. So Chacolina is by San Sebastian. That's, the wine is called? So it's the Appellation. It's appellation. Chacolina. Spell it for me. Uh, T-X-A. Oh, okay. <laughs> Chacolina. Right. And Basque. Right. And the producer is Benguetche. B-E-N-G-O-E-T-X-E. 
that stuff is out of the world delicious. Benguetche from Chacoli is like... That's a great recommendation. You know what has come up a few times for reds? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Envenante? Yeah, Envenante. Four yeah. guys in Spain yeah. that are making... Are yeah. they making some good stuff so, there? So, Envenante is fantastic. And a good value, Everything right? you can grab from Envenante, grab it. All right, so last question. I asked you to come on the show because I think you're a wine person in Assam that's making a difference out there. I'm curious to ask you who out there is doing a good job. And a good job is defined by what you think it is, not me. Who, who's doing it right? There is really a lot of people, you know. Um, I think I think the New York community of sommelier today is probably the strongest in the world. You mentioned a bunch of them, right? like Ten Bells. And I like Severin. Severin at Ten Bells, Caleb at, at a Company, Michael Engelman. Michael Engelman, fantastic is doing a great job. wine director at the Modern, Arnaud right. Tronche um, at, at Racine. Um, you can go on and on and on. There is just a, a really. So New York is chock full of people that really care, and, and yeah. we just mentioned a few. So. And we can, and we can, you know, we still have somebody like Paul Greco. Like Paul is still. Paul, is, Paul has been what you are to Shannon. It Paul is to Riesling and to and, with and to a, mentoring way a lot of people. Right. I think the influence goes of somebody deeper than just being a cheerleader. Yeah. No, Paul has been. Uh, yes. I've, so I uh, huge respect for Paul. Yes. And we didn't talk a lot about Riesling, but Riesling is one of the great white wines. Yes. Second to Chenin, but I totally agree. Yes. <laughs> you neglected, and I'll give you a chance, because after you answer this, we're going to taste wine, and then I'm going to send you back to work. You neglected to tell me your other favorite beverage with alcohol in it. <laughs> I'm a big Chartreuse fan. Okay. Chartreuse <laughs> is that green stuff. Now, tell us, just tell us a teeny bit about chartreuse. Chartreuse is what? It's a concoction of... It's a concoction uh, of more than 100 plants that has been... Um, uh, that is a recipe given to monks during the medieval time to the Cartesian monk. And today, only two monks know the recipe, and they are still producing that recipe in their distillery in the Alps um, with uh, all these plants that nobody exactly knows the, the amount or the name. Right. It's botanicals, it's botanicals and herbs and everything, So it's right? a plant-based liqueur from that secret recipe that have been given during the medieval time with honey. Uh, there is two colors of chartreuse. You have yellow, a bit sweeter, and lower alcohol, and uh, a bit softer. And you have the green, a bit pungent, more pungent. You have the one version with, without aging, or very little aging. And you have the VEP, which is an extra extended aging uh, in, in cask. Uh, How do you drink it? Straight? You, iced? Do you I, mix? I, I, so I keep it always uh, at my place. So I have Chartreuse at my place all the time. And I always keep it in a, in a freezer. And I drink it chilled. Just uh, chilled straight. Chilled straight. And uh, when do you sipping. drink it? After a dinner? All uh, the time. Breakfast. Anytime. Wine. Yeah, I can drink Chartreuse. So there's time. no... <laughs> no, it's, a, it's more an after-dinner drink. It but, is more after-dinner. But it was okay. considered a medication, too. So when you Is it a it. digestive? Absolutely. Okay. So it's not... It's a fun thing to it's drink a after a meal. After... It's very, very, very powerful and strong. And I highly recommend if you buy a bottle of Chartreuse to hedge it, you know, and to keep it for a while because right. it's the only spirits in the world I know that improved in a bottle. And I, I, 
there's a producer, what is it, Tarragon or Tarragon? So Tarragon is when the monks were kicked out of France because at one point the, the church split with the state and the, the, the monk, the Carthusian monks were kicked out from their place in the Alps to, and they had to find a new place to produce a chartreuse and they went to Tarragona in Spain and so they produced a chartreuse there for ah, a while. Is it, it's good? It's, it's fantastic but the condition of aging were different so people right. are saying Tarragona chartreuse had a different taste because you are by the ocean, by the sea, and right. warmer climate different. than the Alps, and so then they move back to to Voiron where they are right now, and um, and the Tarragona are extraordinarily looked after uh, collector items that can reach thousands of oh, dollars. Really? Uh, I was going to say, if you go out and buy chartreuse. <laughs> is it readily available, and what kind of price are we looking at? So the entry level chartreuse are absolutely widely available, and it's I don't know the retail, but forty to a hundred bucks okay. more, like hundred. Not cheap, not crazy. No, but you though. can keep that forever. Forever, and but if you keep it, it's good. It's good, and the collector one, you can go. I'm talking about. Ten for thousands of dollars. Yeah, forget that. But I'm going to do a dinner at a restaurant with one of the monk that. Wow, that'd yeah. be great. So it's happening, in, it's happening in June. That so. would be great. Um, if people want to follow Rouge Tomat mailing list, they can go online, or how should they get so on the a mailing can, list or stay in touch? They can go on the website and they just sign up for okay. some so front go page. To, and what's gonna, the website address? It's rougetomatnyc.com. Uh, okay, don't forget the NYC. All right, Pascaline, we're going to do our almost last segment, and it's called the Weekly Wine Sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For our Weekly Wine Sip this week with Pascaline, we're going to taste a 2014. Pascaline, do you know what it is? Uh, it's, it's, Ridge Light and Springs. I was wondering if it was From Sonoma, which is a Dry Creek Valley. Um, Light and Springs is from Fabled Ridge Vineyards and winemaker Paul Draper, who's a legend. It's a blended wine of Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, Carignan, Mouvet, and the alcohol, 14.4. Is that medium, hot, or...? Um, for Ridge, um, for, for that, that area, I think is in, 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 in what it should be. It right. can be a bit higher. So it's a very warm area. Right. Uh, of the valley, so the wine retails for thirty-five to forty-five bucks, depending where you get it, and it's it's readily available at better wine stores. Um, can you tell me a little more about the wine, or I said it all? Uh, it's 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 an iconic wine. I'm a big fan of Ridge. I think Ridge has uh, has been um, one. Is my first American one I tried was a Ridge Montebello, right? Which is, which is like their benchmark wine from the Santa Cruz Montana. But uh, no, late in spring, I was lucky to visit a couple of times in Fancy Estate. And Ridge, year in, year off, produces cult wine. Cult not as what you should worship. But well, no, faith, cult in its own way. It's yeah. in a way because they, they really kept the faith of right. great American wine. And I think Paul Draper has had that vision and stick to his vision through all the trends and all the passionista and all that stuff. Right. And this wine really, for me, in terms of price per value, history, aging potential, absolutely deserve an amazing amount of respect. It's a beautiful vineyard to light and spring yes. with all this old, gnarly, curly vineyard. When you think everybody pulled out vines, these old vines to right. plant, to plant something right, else. So let, let's give it a sniff. Let's throw it over the tongue and let's evaluate it. So first, 
sight, mm-hmm. deep, dark. Yeah, it's a, it's purple. a concentrated it's a concentrated ruby wine with like a, a little bit of of purple. What do you get on the nose? But I was telling you, I was getting that sun-kissed, sun-kissed red fruits. Oh, you are? Okay, what yeah. else? You uh, said a little uh, oak. Yeah, you get a, a touch of all the spices that reminds you of uh, toasting of the oak. So the very soft, bitter chocolate and like all that toasted baking spices. Cherry. Yeah, and when you taste it, you have this combination of... Um, of, you can see it's old vine, in fact, because you have the, at the same time concentration of the fruit, but very high acid. And it's like when you get a liquor of something of a kind, like a cassis, a blackcurrant liquor, when you get at the same time the sweetness, but there is this pungency. And that, I think, for me, is a really the trademark of the old vine. Um, and it's not sweet, per se, like jammy. It's, there's no, a lot but, of savoriness aspect. But there's savory and fruit. Herbs. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful wine. I it's think got it's, a medium mouthfeel. It's not... It's a medium plus mouthfeel. Like, it's, there yeah. is definitely power because it's ripe. Uh, you get the, the lushiness of the Zinfandel, but the Carignan... It is medium plus. Uh, it's medium plus. Uh, the more I drink it, the more uh, it's a little more mouth and tongue kind of... And it's tongue. a baby. You can see because the tannin are, are a little bit grippy right now. Yes. So if you if you had to open that bottle right now, I would highly recommend to go with the meat or with something with a little bit of fat just because you're going to play with the tannin. And when the wine's going to age, because this one aged so well. Right. Seriously, it's the edge. So this is a young wine. This you could drink wine. it now. And, and one of my questions is, what would you pair it with? And you said meats. Yeah, it you, holds up well. But you meat. need you need to play with that tannin quality. So. But tell me about the palate. I mean, the flavors. G- give me some other descriptors. Mm. You get you get a lot of of florality too, like yeah. A lot of this dried rose petal yes. and a bit of the violet. A little violet, air. for sure. And the herbs, like you have the thyme, the rosemary, yes. a lot of herb. The savory the herbs. The savory provincial herbs. And little pepper and spice, too. L- yeah, a certain umami quality, like a soy sauce quality mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and, it's a delicious and, wine. And black tea, a lot of black tea. I've, I, lo- I love this wine. I so love we, spring. do we like the 2014? I know it's young, but it's drinking well for a 14 out of the bottle. I, I, I really like everything that Ridge is making. I've never been disappointed by one Ridge wine. So if you're impatient, when would this be good? Three years from now? Two? Five? And then if you're really patient? Uh, I, I always try to avoid the two to five years after bottling. So the wine is good for me usually a year after bottling. Like still right. fragrant, like it's a generality. Then you think it closes down, and then it or closes something? down, and then reopen up after. So, so one and then after five. Yeah, okay. one one and a half and after five. Okay, so Pascaline and I like this wine. Good choice, I, thanks. I'm very proud of myself for not bringing a Chenin Blanc in or a French wine <laughs> and making Pascaline drink American wines. All right, Pascaline, we're pretty much done. If you have a question or a wine happening or an event. Hit me up at Sam at the Grape Nation. That's Sam at the Grape Nation.com. Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation, Twitter at Ben Ruby, and Instagram at S Ben Ruby. And Pascaline, fill in the blanks for me. We talked about if you want more information about Rouge Tomat, go to Rouge Tomat New York City on the website.com. Yeah. 
Um, there's a ton of stuff going on there, so it would be a fun site and mailing list to be on. Yeah, and um, um, we put a lot of things on our Instagram too, so at Rouge Tomate. Yes, follow Pascaline on Instagram at Pascaline Lepeltier, right? Yeah. At Pascaline Lepeltier. Um, one thing I didn't ask you, and it didn't come up, and I just want to check it out. Are you writing a book with Alice? <laughs> yeah. Is that something that's coming out in the next year or so? Alice Fearing, who's the Wall Street Journal? Uh, so, yeah, Alice was a, is a contributor, was a contributor to a was, lot of... Right. Uh, and she's a, a, an author, and has a, uh, Alice uh, Fearing, the firing newsletter uh, line, uh, right. the firing line. Yeah, we are uh, doing a book. It's super supposed to be launched uh, early late spring early summer so it's very it's happening are happening. you there or you're not ready yet uh, <laughs> we are almost there okay <laughs> and what be, is the book going to be about uh, it's about dirt 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 it's how about, dirt affects wine and yeah all. it's it's a book for beginners and we are introducing the wine world through soil type or like primary soil bedrock type in fact and uh so it's Breaking down all the greatest wet region we love by uh, volcanic and and and, uh, and, and igneous soil and sh like metamorphic and sedimentary you, soil. You were in France less than a couple of weeks ago yeah. when you were there. I mean, is that the type of stuff you were working on? You know, doing some final yeah, we were finalizing soil yeah. tests, no, bring back so like <laughs> a suitcase full of dirt. I, I did that already. <laughs> no, did. no, <laughs> no. We are tweaking something, but like the book, we are in a very, 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 very last. Uh, is there reading. a title, or uh, we're not ready to talk about it yet? The Dirty Guide to Wine. The Dirty Guide to Wine. Look out for that. Um, I will be in touch with Pascaline, and in later shows, we'll talk about when it comes out. All right. Thank you to our guest, Pascaline Lepeltier from Rouge Tomate in New York. Um, Thanks was, a lot. It, it was, was great time. having <laughs> you on. We would love to have you back. Thanks for the wine. Um, thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you have been listening to The Grape Nation. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.